can't tell if the chemistry is good by looking at it. It wasn't clear yesterday. For the last time, the saltwater pool is a chlorine pool. This is the Talking Pools podcast with pool pros from every region in the country. If it happens in a pool, you'll hear about it here. Everything from tips and hacks to the latest tricks and trends, breaking news. We lay it on the line. We tell it like it is because we think you deserve to know. G'day folks, Peter here. Welcome back to Mondays Down Under on the Talking Pools podcast. We're on joined by Lee over on the East Coast and Shane in New Zealand. G'day folks, how are you doing? Hello Peter, hi Shane. Hi Lee, hi Peter, how's it going? Good, good. I believe the uh, the weather's on your side there, having a lovely day outdoors I believe, Shane, <laughs> from the video you sent yeah, us. It was, uh, yeah, a bit of torrential rain. Can't be that midsummer, it's you know. Summer showers, you get the heat, you get the rain. I mean, the client that I was at at the time, they're on water tank, so they were coming out having a little dance, as you can imagine. But yes. for myself, um, yeah. Well, here it's twenty-eight yes. Celsius. That's eighty-two Fahrenheit. Blue skies, not a cloud in sight. Gentle breeze. It's the perfect weather for working outdoors. So I just figured I'd rub that in a little bit, Shane. Well, you don't normally get to. Like, I was thinking they do twenty. You don't normally get twenty-eight degrees. Of- <laughs> You're right. I was going to say you don't normally get to gloat, Peter. Usually it's uh, one extreme or the other. <laughs> so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Usually you're cooking. I was thinking twenty-eight degrees. I mean, I thought we may have been actually warmer than you then, Peter. But no, we're at twenty-six. Lee, Lee, what's the weather like for you? How's your air conditioner set? <laughs> In your office there. Um, I actually have to tell you, I don't have air conditioning at all in my house. Never have and hopefully never will. So where we're positioned, um, we are on a beautiful part of the coast and I'm fortunate enough to live almost across the road from the beach. Um, we open our windows and we have a beautiful cross breeze straight from the ocean, which is lovely. And being sort of lower on the coast, it is, um, yeah, very nice. There's probably maybe... A little more temperate. Yeah. There's probably maybe four days a year that I wish I had air conditioning. Um, but really, we can cope quite well. So I'm glad that's an electricity bill I don't have to pay. <laughs> yes. Yes. Well, a few weeks ago, we spoke about pool shops charging for water testing. And today, let's talk about charging what we're worth particularly as a mobile service. What do we charge? What should we charge? How should we calculate it? I'd like to start off with a story because I like telling stories. And I met with a guy. Now, he is a listener. I'm not going to name him. I fairly recently started up his own pool service business. And he had a few questions and rang up a few times for a chat. And I said, look, let's catch up. Let's have a coffee and, and talk some things through. And as he was talking, I thought, hang on, something's not right here. So I said, what do you charge per hour? What do you charge your customers as a business? And he told me. And I said, you need to at least triple that. You need to work out what your costs are, what your overheads are, because what you're charging the customer is the hourly rate I I pay my staff plus all the benefits, superannuation and uh, 
you know, holidays and all that will go into that um, uh, as we go along. But there are quite a few people out here who aren't charging nearly enough and they're just not going to make any money. They're not even going to cover costs. So uh, what approach do you guys take to working out what you should be charging? Be it yourself, Shane, as a sole trader or uh, someone like me or Lee in the past with employees. How do you go about working that out? Mm. So uh, when we started the business um, a couple of years ago, we needed to do a business plan <clears throat> because we were entitled to some funding, help with the start of the business, and they wanted to know basically what you know what we are going to charge per service that we're going to uh, provide. So we put pen to paper and we checked. I think it was with the top not the top, the, the biggest 10 companies around Auckland um, to see what they were charging per hour, um, whether they're a set price, etc. So what we what we decided to do, <clears throat> and this was taken a little bit from my previous employment as well, is we did decide to do a set price. I'll wait for the hate mail to come in now. I'm sure it's it's on its way. <laughs> well, the US, lots of people in the US do it. It's not it's not common practice here, but it is it yeah. is common there. Yeah, and it, even when speaking to a lot of people on the road, um, it's very fifty fifty in Auckland, which I've noticed. Um, so yeah, basically we worked out average on um, what a pool is going to need on a you know, two weekly, four weekly basis, um, under 50,000, 50 to 90,000, 90 to 120,000 liter. Um, and we um, devised the set pricing. Now, the set pricing is only for tablet pools, uh, tricord tablets, and salt water pools. Uh, we did start doing it with liquid chlorine and liquid acid. And then, yeah, we come to our senses. <laughs> straight away is like oh uh, we can't continue doing the set price with with this one so um yeah just as i as i was leaving my previous employment i was kind of doing my own little survey with clients and asking them as well you know what would they prefer you know a set price or whether a page go pay per hour pay per chemical and yeah, 95% of them were saying the set price. Um, they know what they can budget for, you know, on a yearly basis. But in regards to our set price, this isn't everything included. This only is basic chemicals. So chlorine, alkalinity, pH, calcium, stabilizer, salt. Everything else is classed as a specialty chemical and they will be charged. Um, as in per whatever's needed into the pool. Um, this is in our terms and conditions, so they are fully aware when they are not signing a contract with us, but it's an agreement between the two parties, so they know what this, they're, they're getting themselves involved in. Do you? Um, so, yeah, this is, this is the way we're, we're running um, our business. Do you have a weather clause in there, Shane? So, like, when you have extreme rain, and there's a lot mm -hmm. of dilution. We all know that um, 
all of our saltwater pools, all the pools well, here certainly seem to be most of them are saltwater pools, um, you can need to add six bags of salt, eight bags of salt to a pool that is a very large volume pool that's had a lot of rain. Like that eats into your profit margins incredibly. So do you have a weather clause? Uh, we do have clauses in there. Um, if anything is out of the norm that we need to add, you know, as as service pros on the road, we know roughly how much pool is going to need each visit. You've got a good indication once you got to know the swimming pool. So if there is anything out of the norm, if they've left the hose pipe running for mm. a day, if there's been, you know, extreme weather, um, client today for instance i got there the water level was too low um she was saying oh, can you hear this gargling coming from the pool you know, what, what the hell is going on the water level is too low the pumps you know it's purging it's sucking in air mm. then sucking in water or sucking in air I said if, if it lowers any more the pump's going to ship. this was a self cool um, um if the water level does uh, get any lower the pump the system is going to shut down as a safety precaution and it will not turn back on until you do that. Your pool will turn green and this isn't covered. You are going to have to pay for that. So I know everybody doesn't read terms and conditions. So I'm on pick one of that. Yeah. <laughs> That's why we have wives. Do that, yes. yes. <laughs> That's why my husband has a wife. There you go, Brett. <laughs> Um, so, I mean, it, yeah, as, as long as you make it clear to them, you know, I've, I've never had any issues with any, you know, with any clients touch wood up to date with me adding anything extra into the swimming pool. And as it goes back to um, the last episode, you know, communication is key. As long as you're informing the client as if there is anything out of the norm, they have been made aware. Um, yeah, we just move move forward from there, and if there is anything that I can teach them along the way, then yeah, that's that's what I, I plan to do. Yeah, yeah, like um, you say, um, yeah, keeping people informed and aware, and um, because the last thing you want is um, an unhappy customer because they haven't understood the terms and conditions mm-hmm. properly enough. But in the same respect, it's not your responsibility that we've just had. 10 inches of rain overnight and you the pool's diluted and what it comes at Paul Shane's expense it's uh, a bit yeah. that's a bit tough and it was it was a similar situation last year when we had there was a cyclone that come in and then I think four weeks after that there was it was on a cyclone but there was torrential rain for weeks and weeks so the clients were understanding um, knowing that they are going to get charged a little bit extra and, you know, if things are out of the norm. Yeah. So we're, we're lucky in that sense to have nice clients <laughs> with that. Yeah. The other thing is, okay, we're pre-recording this. Uh, you're listening to this the following week. This coming Friday is Australia Day. It's mm. major, major public holiday and just a long weekend. And I know for a fact there's going to be a hell of a lot of pool parties happening. If you include your chlorine, how do you go with, for example, shock treatments and the like when they've had 20 family members, mm. including kids, peeing in the mm. pool, water goes cloudy, 
how do you go with you know the extra chemical dosing for that or is that somehow built in uh when it comes to fluorine shocking the shock in the pool is built in uh we don't pay a huge amount for granulated chlorine mm-hmm. <coughs> like i said most of um most of our pools in same in australia the majority of them are self-water pools so i do prefer using dichlor personally shock the pool mm-hmm. if it's in that situation um we can we can absorb that you know that's that's no problem at all okay cool yeah you know, de- depending on the pool size should we say yeah but the average pool size over here same maybe the same in australia 40 50,000 liter pool yeah. traditionally 40,000 in perth they are getting mm. a bit smaller on average as block sizes are diminishing uh, there's mm. less space for yes. a bigger pool around houses um, I've mentioned too many times before, Perth is a very spread out metropolitan area. There's a lot of urban sprawl. And in an attempt to reduce that, uh, blocks are allowed to be smaller in new estates. Uh, my block of land where I'm on, 15 years ago, there's no way I could have subdivided it, you know, split it up into two blocks of land to sell. Now I can because they want to encourage more people in a smaller area. The big problem from a swimming pool perspective for that is not only fitting pools in, but also infrastructure feeding certain areas, particularly uh, water supply to certain areas, becomes more limited. So we're finding some suburbs have got such pathetic water flow, even cleaning out a cartridge filter is just like pulling your own teeth out with rusty pliers. And that's on main supply water. That's main supply water because there used to be Let's make up some numbers here. There used to be 100,000 people in that area, that particular suburb, for example. Now there's 150,000. They haven't made the pipes feeding the suburb any bigger. So pools are taking longer to fill in some suburbs. Uh, There's one area where I I just tell people, look, we're going to have to charge extra because you've got a cartridge filter and it's going to take a lot more effort to clean. And we've got the, uh, I won't say pressure cleaner, but the uh, nozzles for your garden hose do increase the pressure somewhat. But even with that, it's one guy, and and I could piss faster than that garden hose at his place. <laughs> yes, I know because I've done a comparison. No kidding, kidding. <laughs> so when the way I go about working out what I should be charging is first of all I look at the wages I'm paying. And then we add everything onto that. So where I am, we've got four weeks a year of annual leave, call it holiday, two weeks a year of uh, personal leave or used to be called sick leave. We've got 10 public holidays per year in WA. I think that varies from state to state. So there's eight weeks that I have to pay someone for that they're not bringing in any money, not bringing in any income to help cover the costs. So I need to factor that on top of their hourly rate. Then we've got things like superannuation, basically funding their retirement. Uh, Do you have the figure on that, Lee? Yeah. um, Well, superannuation is 11% of their annual. 11. I think it's 11. It's going up to 12, though, if it hasn't already. I might be a little aware of that that one. Uh, you've also the seen the, everywhere around Australia. That's yeah, national, yeah. yeah. Um, 
Then you've got leave loading on their holiday pay, so their four weeks of annual leave, you have to pay an extra percentage loading, basically a bonus because they're on holiday. 17%. Which I've never been able to get my head around, but yeah. okay. It was it was actually put into place, Peter, to encourage people that when they went away they had more money to spend, more disposable income. So it was to encu- mm. like to help the economy. Um, basically. So, um, yeah, that's 17% of whatever their leave is. So um, I have calculated it on a full leave, on, on a full four weeks, which is what they're entitled to overall. Mm. So just to be completely cynical, the employer's paying the staff extra so when they go to Bali they can drink more bin- bintang. <laughs> yep. I don't get that. And we have to the work twice ridiculous. as hard to cover for them. <laughs> exactly. The most ridiculous one, though, is in Western Australia, payroll tax. Now, there's income tax where an employee pays tax on their income, right? That's across Australia. Payroll tax, though, here is something different. When a business pays more than a set, more than a certain amount in wages, and also that includes to contractors, where the contractors earn a certain percentage of their money from that employer or from that business, payroll tax kicks in. Now, looking at some figures here, uh, from what sense I can make, and it is a government website, so it's not very clear. Uh, When a business pays more than a million dollars in wages and the subcontractor payments that apply, they get charged an additional 5.5%. So basically, it is a tax, a penalty for employing people. God. <laughs> it's the most it's the dumbest thing I've ever heard of. It's just a money grab by the state government. Um yeah, very different to income tax. I know plenty of businesses who say I'm not employing any more staff because I don't want to have to get charged. I don't want to have to pay payroll mm. tax. Mm. Uh that's it's insane. No, it's crazy. One of the mm. dumbest things I've ever, ever heard. Uh, There was the uh, Police Act of 1930, which is even dumber, though. It's been repealed, but it made it illegal to have a person under 18 years old on your premises. I kid you not. I started When I studied commerce at uni, it was one of the uh, examples of a bad law. Um, Yeah, it was illegal to have somebody under the age of 18 on your premises. The looks on your faces are just... Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> I said with an Annie state. You're in the dark ages, Pete. But, You're not just well, that one's been age. repealed. <laughs> that one's good. been repealed. That's good. Um, uh, there was a case where a uh, owner of a an amusement arcade was f- charged on in breach of that law, and the judge, and if I remember, because this is. Decades ago, I studied studied this. Uh, he said, as absurd as this law is, it is clear, and had to charge the guy. Oh, my God. So, um, yeah, glad that one's gone. Yeah, no. So. No, well, I think. No, you yeah. can start working on your slave labour now, Peter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, slave labour. Um, no, no pyramids in my backyard. <laughs> um, the other thing. So the other thing I do uh, when working out what I need to charge a customer, all the stuff we just mentioned about paying staff and so forth, but then the other business overheads. 
you've got the insurances, you've got the cost of vehicles, you've got the cost of ins- uh, insuring the vehicle, fuel, service. Vehicles don't last forever, so you need to factor in replacing this vehicle in whatever time frame you replace. I know some businesses replace them every year, others every five years, others basically run them till the wheels fall off. Uh, you know, if you have a, a premises you operate from, you've got the rent, you've got the the power bill, the water bill, all of these things. Uh, we've got to update and maintain our own service equipment. All of this stuff really adds up. Mm. So the way I go about it, uh, yes, I love a spreadsheet. I make up a spreadsheet and I look at any expense that's weekly. They're often estimates like how much I expect each vehicle to cost in fuel, whatever monthly, quarterly, and annual. So, for example, insurance goes into the annual. Um, uh, trying to think, what do I pay quarterly? I don't have it in front of me. But you get the drift. I work out what time frame, then I uh, work it all out, calculate how much per month I need to make to cover all of those overheads plus make some money, and that's how I work out my hourly charge. So it it's quite a, a process doing it the first time. It's Just a factoring huge in. step being from, I'd say, where I am, where I'm just a sole, a sole trader, you know, so the next step up where you actually go into employment. Mm. Um, there's a huge amount to factor in. Well, wait, look, let's face I mean, it. This, this is something that I wanted to look into this year, but I'm, I'm after this. I think after this podcast, <laughs> I'll just stay solo. Well, <laughs> like... I think the thing is we're we're all guilty or I suppose a lot of people are guilty at the start when we first start out is we look at what what are other people charging mm. or um and and some people wrongly think that they need to be the cheapest to secure the work and no. look that people who compete on price it is a fast race to a losing race or, yeah. or, or a loss, I should say, because it's it's a race to the bottom um, and you're undervaluing yourself. Like, let's face it, if you see a product that is really cheap and yet a product uh, that appears to be like slightly better quality, better presented, more professional, is charging a lot more, what does that make you think of that product that's cheap? It makes you think there's something mm. wrong with it, that it's inadequate yeah. that it's incomplete that it's going to be poor quality or poor standard so like undervaluing yourself can actually be your demise tune in next monday for part two of this alluring episode with peter wiederman shane snedden and lee salisbury
I just wanted to take a minute to say thank you for listening today. I'm hoping you enjoyed the episode as much as we enjoyed putting it together for you. Listen, it's been a couple of wacky, crazy, screwed up years from pandemic to Poolmageddon. I just want you to know that we are all in this together. If there's anything that we can do for you, send me an email at talkingpools at gmail.com. Again, that's talkingpools at gmail.com. We're here. This is your podcast. We are the Pool People's Podcast of the Pool People for the Pool People by the Pool People's Podcast. This one is about you. So thank you for tuning in and listening. Do me a favor. Click subscribe before you go. That way you don't miss an episode. 